I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. And we have, but we have just Eddie. It's Kevin Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Murray. It's Mahe Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Pinson. I'm Alex Del Sordo, Rowers Choice. And with me is a guy that look, I've never met. And uh, I, I can't believe his age. The guy is, the guy is one of the youngest head coaches in all of rowing United States. And it's not just a high school coach. No, 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 no. This is a college coach and he hails from England. So we have a lot to talk about today on today's podcast, Sam Pratt from Adrian College. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. You know, I got to tell you, the sound quality is incredible coming from you. This headset is impressive. We'll get into that because I know, I know why you have that headset. But Sam... 25, head coach of Adrian College. This is pretty cool. Um, but I asked the same question to every interview I've ever done. How old were you? Where were you when you took your first rowing stroke? Um, yeah, well, I, I kind of have two answers to that. Um, so in theory, I took my first strokes on the ERG when I was five. Um, both my parents were rowers. My mum rowed um, in the blue boat at Oxford in, in 1987. Um, my dad was captain of boats at Pembroke College at Oxford. Um, so they put me on the erg at some point when I was five. I don't remember it. Apparently I was, I was okay at it. Um, and then obviously me being a relatively big guy, them being former rowers, they were convinced that I would make a great rower um, when I was young. I was convinced that I was never going to touch the sport because they'd done it. Um, I, was a, I was a tennis player going through, you know, the beginning of secondary school. Um, and then I reached... Uh, I guess I was 15, 14, 15. I'd just turned 15. And I remember I was going out to play tennis one day and the head of rowing at Hampton School, Colin Greenaway, saw me and he goes, oh, he's big. What's his name? And they're like, that's Sam. And he's like, Sam, you should come try rowing. I'm like, no, no way. And then he just bugged me for like a month straight. Just like, come try rowing, come try rowing. And I was like, okay, fine. You know, what? I'll give it one go. I'll, I'll get in the boat once and I'm going to hate it and I'll never do it again. And then I think... Um, yeah, my, my first ever session, actually, I don't know if you, you, you probably know the name. Do you know Martin Cross? Um, you know medalist. Martin Cross. Yeah. So, yes. so, so Martin Cross coached my first ever session of rowing because um, he was <laughs> he was a history teacher at Hampton and he just helped out with rowing sometimes. All right, um, Sam, just stop. Just stop, Sam. This is, this is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Your parents are like British royalty in rowing the blue boat 87 <laughs> the captain uh at, at, at is it Pem pemberton right at oxford right was Pember, that the, Pembroke college yeah Pembroke college uh i mean dude and then you say you're a big guy like please don't be modest how big are you how tall are you i'm, I'm not that big i was i was always small to be a heavyweight i was i was six six two and a half six three um uh, heavier than I should have been. I, I, the lightest I ever got at, at the University World Championships after doing some heavyweight cutting was 195 pounds. Um, but yeah, I remember, I remember doing that championships and being like, everyone is so much bigger than me. Oh, yeah, no, listen, I, I'm 6'3", 190 and I'm small. Um, you know, Martin Cross, the voice of rowing, the guy, yeah. the guy just knows what he's doing. He has an incredible background in rowing and there you are some punk kid at 15 years old being coached by a legend a legend and, and, and you know what he made me do a racing start in that first ever session everyone everyone else had been rowing for a year already I was in a quad and he was like all right Sam just 
stay in time with them. Don't even put your blades in the water. Just like keep your blades flat on the water and just stay in time. We're going to do a racing start. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point you're like, I don't even know what a racing start is. Uh, yeah. So, okay. This is, this, this conversation is going to be a little bit different than what we're used to. Cause um, I, I believe that us rowing needs to adopt what you went through in your early stage at 15 years old, you're sculling. Mm -hmm. Um, how important is that in your mind now that you've been in the United States a couple of years? How important is that in the start of youth rowing? Yeah, I mean, I think the English schoolboy system, at least the way it was done at Hampton, obviously I can't speak for every English, English schoolboy program and, and the school rowing system in general. Most of my technical foundation comes from there for sure. Like I, you know, I had some of the best coaching of my life there um, and you know the the way of approaching it was very different from what I think a lot of schools over here do so like Hampton had a very defined model of your first year of rowing so I actually joined a year late most people started their J14 year I started the J15 year the idea was in J14s you learn to scull all you do is sculling and it's just about having fun and learning to enjoy the sport your J15 year you do sweep you learn to start sweeping you still did sculling as well I was always awful at sculling um, but you know, you still scaled a little bit, you started learning to sweep and you learned to train a little bit. Then you got into J16s and you really learned to race. You know, you weren't aiming to win yet necessarily, but you were aiming to be competitive and be racers. And then J17 and J18, which was what we called the senior squad, um, you learned to like win things and, and be like a really competitive force at the top. And I think it was really good for a couple of reasons. The big one for me was that the burnout wasn't quite as high. I think, you know, you really taught the rowers to love the sport, learn how to train properly and effectively, then learn how to enjoy racing and how to be good at racing and then learn how to win. And yeah, it was, it was a little tough in the first few years when you were losing a lot of races because there were other programs who'd be trying to win every single year. But normally by the time you're in the senior squad, those programs would have dropped off the map again. And you'd be once again, like Hampton, while I was there, we made the Saturday of Henley five years in a row. Um, you know, it's, um, you, you'd be up there by the end of your time and you kind of got that, that building in terms of the technical stuff. I think, you know, in England, you can kind of, you can afford to take things slower than a lot of the U S you know, obviously it's not the case everywhere, but I've spent my time in the U S in the Northeast mostly, or at least in the North. Um, and the issue is everything freezes, you know, you can't row year round in England. We were rowing from September all the way through the first week of July every year. Um, and that's just a lot of time to, to learn to row well. Um, and the head racing season, the, the big head races, you know, school's head of the river, the head of the river, force head, all of that stuff is happening in February and March. So you have all the way from September till March to learn how to row well. And so you just get tons of time to, to be in small boats, to be in sculling boats. Um, you know, we did 8K singles trials like every other week. Um, wow. I always came bottom five in them. I just couldn't get my head around it. Um, and I, I think it's just hugely impactful because you just learn so much how to control the boat. Yeah. You know, I started at 13, 14, and I had a bit of a legend teach me, um, a guy that is very well known in the Northeast market in the new, well, actually all around, um, Stan Bergman. Uh, he's sort of the godfather of, of rowing at Holy Spirit. He's UPenn. But it was winning at all costs day one. That was it. That's all we cared about. We wanted to win every race that we could day one. It was very egotistical. It was very, you know, a lot of testosterone. Um, 
but yeah, I guess my observation is the way you guys, like, I like your patience. You know, you take your time and there's less burnout. That's why you have much, you have a higher success rate at the Olympics and world championships than we do. We dominate the junior level, but I guess who really cares about the junior level? Um, all right. So talk to me about your experience as a senior on the senior squad, 17, 18 years old. You're going to Henley. To us Americans, that's the greatest race ever. It's so cool. Uh, did you find a lot of success at that level? So me personally, you know, the team certainly did. Me personally, I was plagued by illnesses throughout um, throughout my high school years. Um, you know, for whatever reason, my immune system was just not working well during that time. So like clockwork, every year we would reach, you know, the, the spring season, the Henley season, and I would get a chest infection like every single time. I remember... Um, my my junior year so my first year in the senior squad things have been going pretty well I made the, the the first boat for um for the school's head of the river and that was like one of the coolest experiences of my life because Hampton had won the school's head the year before um and actually you know my my J16 year the year that, that we won we actually won every single men's eight category we won the first eight the second eight the third eight the J16 first eight the J16 second eight and the J15 second eight it was just like a wild day you know you're you're like after the race, you're tired, you're in bed, you're looking at the results and you're like, is there like an error with this? It's saying Hampton burst in every single category. Like, I don't know what's going on. Um, but I remember it meant that when, when I was in the first state, my J17 year, we started head of the river. We led every single boat. There were 450 boats there. We led them all off. And the way they do it at school's head, the boats line up along the side of the course and then they turn to go on the course. So we rode past every single boat on the course wow. first place. Um, we didn't end up holding holding our head of the river. I mean, we finished the race still in front. No one overtook us, um, which was um, good for us, I guess. It was a very young crew that year. Seven of the previous year's boat had graduated. Um, we ended up coming seventh. Um, and then, you know, made the boat again going into the spring. I remember, so one thing that, that Hampton was big on, on doing was like a lot of data-driven stuff. We had telemetry on the boat all the time um and just constantly looking at that data and i remember we had it on the boat for the first race of the spring i'd like clockwork as always had a chest infection the week before <clears throat> probably shouldn't really have been racing and i remember it was the best start i've ever had in any boat of my life we hit a rate 54 off the start um <clears throat> and we were a length up by 250 like length and a half by 500 at 1K, it was back down to like three quarters of the length. At 500, we were level. And at the finish, we were third and we didn't make the final. <laughs> and I remember afterwards, um, our coach, uh, Neil Double, he, he comes over and he's like, right, guys, I'm not going to show you the first 500 meters on the telemetry because that's not the point I'm making here. But take a look at the last 1500 meters. And I was like, oh, no. And I looked at it and I'd, I'd averaged 180 watts for the last 1500 meters, like <laughs> just nothing. And it took him like a full like year and a half before he showed me the rest of it. And I forget what it was. I'd averaged definitely over 500 watts for the first 500 meters of the race and then just blown off the edge of a cliff after that. Um, you know, I, I'm, I hate to interrupt you here, uh, but you just brought something else up. <clears throat> I don't I don't I'm not privy to every single team here in the country, but I can I can assure you that. And, and my producers back here can tell me, confirm. I, th I bet 90% of junior programs don't get that deep. We don't yeah. look at that kind of stuff. And I mean, do you think that that's a very valuable piece of information for the rowers to be looking at the data and seeing what's going on? Definitely. I think, 
I think it's more helpful for the coaches than for the rowers. You know, I remember the 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 row uh, the coaches at Hampton always told us, guys, you're always going to end up looking at the watts, but that's not what we want you to look at. Like the watts are not the important thing here. It's not about how hard you're pulling. Like we're assuming you're pulling hard unless the watts are showing otherwise. Um, you know, the, the really nice thing, I forget exactly which system we were using. We were using some telemetry system. It wasn't the smart ores. It was on the orlocks themselves. Um, you know, oh, I know what it is. It's not the, is it the peach system or there's a, it's like a fruit, isn't it? There's a company. I yeah. I, I, I don't remember. It was, it was in prototype when we were using it. It wasn't like, I know the company, version. Um, but you know, it would show you the length of your stroke. It would show you the effective length of your stroke. It would show you curves through the drive and through the recovery. So it helped you like match up where everyone's drive phases were and all of that kind of stuff. And that as a coach to me, you know, it's something I certainly hope to be getting at some point i mean it's expensive but it's something that i think is super super helpful because you look at it and you know as coaches we can see what's going on you know you can see with your eyes what's happening in the boat you can never feel what's going on because you're not in the boat yourself and you know obviously that means feedback from the rowers is hugely important but also getting that telemetry and getting that data to back up what you're seeing you know maybe i'm seeing oh this person uh, just looks like they're not locking on at the catch. And then I look at the telemetry and it shows they have 15 degrees of slip at the catch. I'm like, okay, so I was right. Like, let's work out how to fix this now. Um, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Impactful. Let me, let me ask you this. So I coached for about six years, seven years, and most rowers, especially at Adrian college, let's be frank, like Adrian college is not going to be, it will be eventually a great program with you at the helm, but you can't expect 17, 16 year old boys and girls to tell you what's actually going on. Most people have no clue how to express how it feels in the boat. Oh, it's heavy at the catch. Oh, it's kind of slow. It's dumping. Like there are things that they just don't know how to explain. So I can see how that data is so, so important and how they can relate it. You know, kids are a lot smarter these days than they were, mm. you know, long ago. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I'm 36. I feel like an old man in front of you, yeah. but uh, it, am I, is it, do you agree with me? I do. And I don't, you have to be taught how to feedback properly. You know, you don't just naturally know how to explain what you feel in the boat. I remember at Hampton, you know, pro probably the, the coach that I think I learned the most from in terms of how I was going to coach in future was Nick Woods. Um, and he, he was really big on getting effective feedback from the rowers. And, you know, so what, what he would do, he was coaching the second eight and, you know, I, I, was, I spent a while in the second eight with him coaching it. Um, and what he would do at the end of every session, he'd have us all circle up and he'd say, right, I want a single piece of good feedback from each of you. And, you know, first week of doing this, you know, we're all a bunch of 17 and 18 year olds. Everyone's like, oh, the boat felt a little bit unstable. You know, like no one's got anything good to say. It's not helping anything. Um, and I'm sure he was like, oh, this is pointless. Um, but, you know, he kept working on it and kept being like, okay, so why do you think it was unstable? Like, what, what were you doing that might have changed it? What do you think we've done in the past that has made it better when, when that's been a problem? And, you know, by the, end of the, by the end of the year, I remember everyone was giving like a very well thought out reason piece of feedback. Like, oh yeah, I just felt like we were a little sluggish at the catch today. I think maybe it's because we were doing X thing um and you know it wasn't that he would listen to that and then go purely on what you said but you know like I was saying earlier he matched it with what he was seeing you know if he was seeing something that 
fit with what we were feeding back, then he's like, okay, let's address this then. Um, so I, I definitely think feedback can be really effective. I think you need to be taught to do it and you need to so have can confidence. You give me some, can you give me some ways to draw out that, like to get more of the young rowers to give you effective feedback? Are there tools that yeah. you know to do? I mean, I, mean I, think, I think you need a couple of things. Number one, you need to make them feel safe to do so. You know, obviously you, you got to make sure that everyone's aware. Like when you're doing this feedback and it's in front of other rowers, this is like a, a, a safe place to give that feedback. You're not going to be making fun of the rower for saying something stupid or, you know, giving an answer that's not right or whatever it may be. They're just telling you what they're feeling. And I think that's really important because the number one reason why they're not giving me feedback is because they're scared of what you're going to think about it, right? They want to they wanna make you see that they're smart and see that they're thinking about it. And so they can overthink it or just be unwilling to say things. And, and number two is, is just, you know, asking questions, you know, if they give you a simple piece of feedback, say, okay, how was that different from yesterday? Or, you know, did you feel like you were doing something different to yesterday that might have changed that, you know, just sort of drawing it out gradually. And as you do that more and more, they'll start asking those questions of themselves and start thinking about how do I give those answers before they're asked of me. So I'm writing things down as we talk. So I'm not... I'm not not paying attention. Um, I think you're very well spoken, um, and I think I think uh, I was naive to think that because of your age, you you wouldn't know as much. So that's um, that's a. I hope you enjoy that compliment. Um, in earlier in the earlier in this interview, you tell me that you had no business or you did not want to touch an oar. You were just like, yeah. I'm not going to do this, mom and dad. You guys are great. I just, I'm going to play tennis. How on earth did you make this a career move to go coaching? Because that is a pretty big leap in the last 10 years. Yeah. So honestly, you know, when I when I took those first strokes with Martin Cross, I, I think I was indoctrinated or something, you know, like because my memory totally cuts out after that first session and then cuts back in like like a month and a half later in my first race. And it was a freezing cold day in November and it was like foggy and freezing. We were out on the water for like an hour and a half because they delayed the racing start. And being like, wow, this is great. And I'm like, how, what, how did I get to this? Like, <laughs> um, but I remember that first year, I, I didn't take it that seriously. You know, I, I kind of went through it and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. You know, I was naturally strong. I was naturally good on the ERG. Um, but I was like, you know, but the fact is we're pretty slow this year. So like, I'm not going to take it that seriously. You know, we, we were the last of the championship eights at nationals in the J15 level. Um, nine out of nine, we, uh, <laughs> we, were slower than a lot of the first eight level as well. You know, we were, we were not a fast team. And then we hit the J16 year and two things happened. Number one, we started to finally like click a little bit and find a little bit of pace. And number two, Colin, our, our, our coach told us, oh, hey, at the end of this year, by the way, there's the GB versus France under 16 match and you could earn yourself a, a GB vest. And I was like, oh, hello, I want to do that. Um, and so that year you know, on paper was my most successful rowing year. You know, that year I won at the school's head. Um, I got two silvers at nationals in the eight and the, and the straight four. I rode in the, in the school second eight at Henley. I rode in that GB France match and we won by three lengths. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a really good year. And after that, I was like, okay, I'm sold. Like, this is what I want to do for sure. Um, and you know, then I, <laughs> I think, I think this would resonate with a lot of rows who start finding a little bit of success. I was like, okay, 
so what's my steps to get to the Olympics? <laughs> um, you know, like wrote out a little board for myself, like, what am I going to do? You know, what's my timeline? Um, you know, I think I've missed a couple of those steps along the way because my timeline said I was meant to go to the Olympics last year and I definitely wasn't there. Um, and, you know, I kind of, from that point, I was very much like, you know, I want to row, I want to do this as a full-time thing. And, you know, if I'm not rowing, I want to be coaching. You know, I've, I've kind of known I would end up in coaching since I was like 16, 17. Um, I kind of thought it would be a little later than it was, you know, in the end. So I, I went to Wesleyan University up in Connecticut, um, you know, rode there for four years. Um, and my senior year, right at the end of the fall, I remember just leaning back one stroke and feeling my ribs crack. Um, and I, I, I hairline fractured one of my ribs and I strained three of my intercostal muscles and that was it. I didn't row again. Um, I, you know, cause at that point I'd been plagued by injuries the last two years at Wesley and I had really bad tendonitis in my wrists. I'd minorly torn my hamstring once. And then I did that. And I was like, you know, my body seems like it's probably telling me something and maybe I should, you know, listen to it and take a step back here. Um, oh, and so, no. <laughs> yeah, so it was, that's, uh, a, that's a really, uh, I would say, I would say most, most people just fight through that. Um, I've known, I've known, I can name right now about, I think five people that have torn intercostal muscles that have, you know, cause that's a very common thing in rowing, especially yeah. with, with that load. Um, they kept working through it and now they can't, they can't do anything. I mean, they're in their thirties and they can't do anything. Um, yeah. It's a really hard thing to swallow, uh, especially at like 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, what dawned on me, I think, I think my math is correct. You were like, 15 16 years old in england when the olympics were going on in 2012 i I was but i actually wasn't there i was i was in the u.s visiting family while the olympics was going on (laughs) okay mom and dad you screwed the boots there man yeah yeah they really really messed messed up my whole rowing development clearly (laughs) (laughs) was that a because we haven't had that since 96 like we haven't had the olympics here on our soil since 96 and that that changed rowing. The yeah. best rowing in, in U.S. history ever was 96, 97 to 2006, 2007, like mm-hmm. that, that period, maybe even 2008. Did that how impactful was that on junior rowing in that time? Like because that because you were in the middle of it. Yeah, I think it was it was hard to say to some degree. I mean, there was definitely it was noticeable that suddenly I was the closest thing to this at, at Hampton and I was very much not this. Every one of the schools suddenly had this physiological freak who was really big, really fast, just like, you know, like I can think of five guys as juniors who were pulling sub six eggs um, wow. while, I, while I was there. Every school had one. I was the closest thing and I was pulling like a 620. You know, it, it wasn't like even, it wasn't even a close, close run thing. You know, I remember Charlie Elwes who, who ended up rowing at, I want to say Harvard it was Harvard or Yale I think um you know he was he was 14 he was in his J15 year he pulled a 614 on the erg you know just um, unbelievable like no one should be doing that um and so that you know maybe that was an impact from the Olympics or maybe everyone just had had this like bubbling under the surface and then suddenly they all came up but it was just like my grade for whatever reason like there were like nine or ten schools who had sub 610 guys um and it was like where are these coming from like this this is not a normal thing um you know you'd be at 
you'd be boating for like nationals and you'd be looking around and I'd be like, I'm the biggest guy in our crew. Like, I know I'm like top dog here. And then I'd look around, and I'd be like, oh my God, that guy's huge. And that guy's huge. Like, you know, just really bizarre, um, you know, from that standpoint. That's, uh, I, I just, I wanted to, I, I don't want to deviate from the, this conversation, but just thinking like if I'm 15, 16 and the Olympics are in my home soil, like I'd be treating rowing a little bit differently. Um, cause I, cause you know, you had, I don't know, you guys were, you had a great year that year. Um, yeah. I mean, that was, that was like the start, like that and the, and the 2016 in Rio, those were like the two, like best years of, of British rowing at the Olympics. Um, oh, gosh. And, and, you know, I definitely, it definitely had an impact on me that 2012 Olympics where I was like, oh, I want to be like that. You know, like we just won a ton of medals in the Olympics. Like I want to be that guy, you know? I, yeah, but now, but, but, but you're not, unfortunately, and I'm not either. And a lot of people that listen to this are not, but all right. Yeah. So you go to, you go to Wesleyan and you're staying in America. What brought you to Adrian college? Cause that's, that's a, that's a yeah. look, Michigan, Adrian college is one of the furthest places away from Great Britain. Like, I don't yeah. know how much further you can go. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, to start my coaching journey, I started coaching at Wesleyan after I graduated from Wesleyan. So I actually, I had a conversation with, with Phil Carney at Wesleyan my senior year in like September when he was like, Sam, you want to go into coaching, right? And I was like, yeah, hundred percent. That's definitely what I want to do. And he's like, do you want to coach here? And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> so it kind of like wrapped up what I was going to do for the, for the next year. I stayed there for two years. And then, you know, last summer, so this is my first year at Adrian, um, last summer I was, um, you know, looking around for jobs as, as you do, you know, talk to a lot of programs um, and just kind of wasn't getting anywhere. You know, I, I felt like I was, felt like I was pretty close on a couple of occasions, but just wasn't quite sealing anything. And it got towards like late summer, I think it was like August at this point. And I was like, oh man, like I am running out of time on this. Like I'm going to need to, you know, cause I was only looking at college programs and, you know, I was like, maybe I need to like change, change my tactic a little bit, start going for high school programs as well. Did a couple of interviews with high school places too. Um, and then, you know, Adrian college popped up on my radar, you know, I'm going through the row 2k classifieds and I'm like, I'm going to apply, I'm going to apply for this. And, you know, got, got a message back saying, we'd love to interview you. And so I started doing my research on Adrian and on the program here. And to me, it was kind of like the ideal situation. And I think a lot of coaches would feel like this. It's a new program. You know, this is its fourth year of running ever, but it's got really good funding. You know, we have an amazing boathouse. You know, it's, we spent God knows how much on this boathouse, but like, a lot it's like one of the nicest boat houses i've ever been in we have a fleet of 42 brand new wintex um and i'm like i mean this is like everything a coach dreams of it's a program that's new so i can really put my mark on it um i can have a big impact here i have the funding to do what i need to do and like i can just grow something here like that's kind of i feel like to some degree that's what every coach wants or like sort of semi dreams of is a program where you can kind of shape it how you want to shape it um and so I actually I was hired to be the assistant coach and then there was kind of a whirlwind week I was meant to be arriving on September the 7th um on September the 4th um the previous head coach here took a job opening at University of San Diego and ended up head coaching there and so I came in as an assistant coach with no head coach and no other coaches here 
Um, and I was like, uh, and you know, I had a conversation with the AD. He's like, we're going to start looking for for new head, a new head coach. You'll be the assistant coach. And I basically just kind of took a look at it and I was like, you know what? Like, don't look for a new head coach. Like, give me two weeks. Let me show that I'm the right man for this. I want this job. Like, I want to lead this. Um, and just kind of said to myself, you know what? I'm just going to like drive it like it's mine, you know, like act like the program's already mine, do everything that I would do if I was head coaching a program. And, you know, so far it's worked well, you know, I'm, I'm here as official head coach now. Um, and so, you know, kind of just, yeah, sort of, sort of took one of those sort of fluke opportunities that don't come around that often was like, I might not get this opportunity for another six years after this. I'm just going to run with it and do the best job I can with it. Drive, drive like it's mine. Yeah. Dude, you are, you are hitting me with some great one-liners. I love <laughs> drive like it's mine. So does Adrian College, like, is it um, a program that has men and women? Do you focus on the yep. women? So, so we have both, I, I'm head coach of both the men's and the women's team, um, both of varsity, um, D3 sports. Um I wouldn't say I focus more on one or the other, you know, the teams are in very different spots right now. You know, the women's team is, is very small right now. They struggled a lot during COVID with retention. It's a very small and very young team. You know, we don't have anyone above sophomore. Um, and so really that's much more of like a building job. You know, we're trying to bring in the athletes to, to build it back up, be able to have two eights on the water so we can actually even be eligible to go to NCAAs. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the long-term goal. You know, I've set out five-year plans for both programs. And, you know, the five-year plan for the women's team is, you know, within three years, be up at 2-8 and be competitive again. And within five years, hopefully win the, the Mark Conference and go to NCAAs. Um, and then the men's side is in, a, is in kind of a different spot where actually, you know, last year, their third year of running, they won the Mark Conference in the men's eight and the men's four, took home the team points trophy. Um, and... You know, we have a more complete roster. You know, we have six seniors. We have a bunch of freshmen, a little thin on juniors and sophomores. But, you know, it's a more spread out roster. It's not super young. And so, you know, for them, especially with what's going on this year with the D3 stuff, with the IRAs founding a D3 championship for the first yeah. time, you know, very much the goal is like, okay, win the mark again, go to the IRAs, compete for a national championship. You know, am I under any illusions that we're going to win this year at the IRAs? No, like it's not going to happen this year. We're a young program. We're still finding our feet to a great extent. And there's some really successful D3 programs out there who have been successful for a long time and have a lot of fast rowers. But again, you know, five-year plan. Yeah, we hope to be up there in five years, you know, maybe not winning it, but be in the mix. Man, you know, Dude, you're like, you're making you're making my job really easy to interview you. <laughs> uh, that, okay, I got I got I'm trying to now figure out which way to go here. So, do you have a lot of support? Because you're kind of you're new to the you're not new to the country. You've been here long enough. You've mm -hmm. built relationships with other coaches and other rowers. Do you lean on a lot of your old coaches and friends from England for advice and, and help? growing this team less so from england I, I would say most of most of the people i've talked to over here are, are, are former coaches on the u.s side you know I, i've talked to to phil at wesleyan a lot um you know i my first week here i was like okay you know this is a difficult situation that i've been put in like i'm running a program i wasn't expected expecting to be running the program so i was like okay 
let me reach out to like every coach I've ever had on the US side and be like, if you were just starting as a head coach somewhere, what would be thing one that you did? You know, what, what's like the first three things you do? So, you know, I had that conversation with, with Greg at Michigan. I had it with um, Kemp Savage at, at Eastern Michigan, with um, Phil at Wesley and, you know, kind of had those conversations and, and got some, some good gems there. You know, I would say England, I have a lot of very close friends there still. Um, I don't think any of them are still rowing at this point. Mm. You know, at this, at this point, obviously we're, we've all been graduated from, from college for three years. Um, I think a fair few of them carried on rowing through college, but, you know, have kind of petered out of it a little bit now, a couple of them carried on, but um, you know, that's, you know, my closest friends are over there, but less so from the point of view of like rowing support, you know, more from the point of view of just being, you know, close friends and, and guys that, every time I'm back in England, we hang out like every day, basically. Um, so those, so those, those handful of coaches, um, I mean, Greg has been around mm -hmm. forever. <laughs> Phil, it's been yeah. around forever. Can you think back to like one thing that really stuck out in your head that was a great piece of advice? Like one thing that you really held on to? You know, I think it was actually from Phil and I think it wasn't even when I talked to him this year, I think it was when I was coaching um, under him. You know, one thing he said to me, you know, I was talking to, I was taking, I, I think the second eight for a session, I was talking to them after and I was, you know, giving them feedback from the session, you know, what I saw, what I thought was going on. And, you know, he listened to me do this. And then after we were done, we went back into the office and we were chatting about how the session went. And he said, here's one thing for you. If you have five points to say, you have no points because after number three, they're going to stop listening and they're not going to pay any attention to you. Um, and I was like, after five points, you have no points um literally just and and I sort of thought about it and I was like you know what he's right like after after you've said three things guys eyes start to just sort of glaze over and they're not really listening anymore and even if they are still listening the message you're trying to give is getting muddled you know you're not you're not putting across a clear like message you're putting out too many things to think about you know I think about when I was a rower I couldn't think about three different things rowing wise at once. You know, it was like, I'm working on this thing today and nothing else matters. Um, so, you know, I think that's something that's really stuck with me and, and been something that I've really tried to implement here is just like not overcomplicating things. You know, you don't need to talk for an hour after every session. You need to give like a five minute, like, here's what I thought, here's what I thought, here's what I thought. Okay, see you later. Um, especially, you know, for college kids you know, you're not trying to waste their time. They've got a lot of other stuff they can be doing. They've got work to get on with. They've got classes. It's not like they're not busy. You know, if you're keeping them at the boathouse for even like an extra 20 minutes just to talk to them, you're just wasting their time and they're going to resent that in the long run because that's a lot of time that you're taking up at this. You're already taking an hour and a half for practice. You know, don't, don't spend extra time on stuff that doesn't need to be spent time on. Are you, are, you're, you're, you are 25, right? That's I am like, in fact 25, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm having this conversation with someone who's been doing this for 25 years, not someone who's <laughs> doing this for a couple of years. Uh, geez, Louise, I mean, okay. How about, all right, the, make of the makeup of the team and like mm -hmm. your roles and responsibilities. Um, I'm gonna get into that. So you have a small program. Yeah. Uh, nothing big. Do you guys offer scholarships? Do you offer financial aid for rowers? So as, as a D3 institution, we can't give uh, financial support for athletics. Um, you know, Adrian in general 
is pretty generous with with financial aid but that's not a a sport specific thing you know it's just you know if you need financial aid hopefully they'll meet what you need um so you know that any d3 program makes things more of a challenge you know especially once you start getting towards the top end you know i remember at wesleyan when we were doing the recruiting stuff you know i remember my first year of recruiting i definitely could have done a better job of it and i remember i was talking to like five guys who i was like yeah they're definitely going to come here and then within the space of a week four of them go oh hey i just got an offer from a d1 i'm going to go there i'm like oh, there goes all of my recruits um how so, do you recruit for how do you recruit for a D3 program in Michigan? Like what what do you I, how do you do it? What are you looking for? I think there's a there's a couple of things. Like obviously, you know, I'm looking for some things, but at this point, it's not a it's not necessarily about the athlete themselves. It's about getting people in. Because you know, I even if the athlete isn't the fastest person ever, I can teach them to be fast. You know, so I think I tend to look more at culturally are they going to fit with what we're trying to do you know are they going to fit with the team are they going to enjoy themselves here because you know my philosophy on it is happy healthy rowers are the ones who make the fastest rows you know you can't have a rower here who doesn't like the school or isn't friends with the team or whatever because they're just not going to have a good time and if they're not having a good time they're not going to go that fast um and so you know we're definitely looking all the time at like okay is this someone who you know, has a lot of drive, who's going to show up on the really hard days in the middle of winter and be like, you know, I'm going to show up with a smile because someone else is having a hard time today. You know, that's really important stuff. Um, and, you know, I think what, what we really have to sell athletes, because I think every rower wants to feel, and every athlete in general wants to feel like they're coming somewhere and making an impact and leaving the place better than they found it. And I think Adrian's in a unique position for that. There aren't that many new rowing programs around the country you know there's a few here and there but there's not a lot and certainly not a lot who have the level of support that we do financially um and so you know i think you can really sell rowers here on the idea that you know let's say you go to whatever yale washington like some mega program yeah you're going to be successful there it's guaranteed you know and but end of the day that they're going to have been successful for 10 years before you and they're going to be successful for 10 years after you you are one of a long list of names who has done it right it's it's great it's really cool you get through a lot of fun stuff but also you're not the one who's going to be remembered for anything whereas here you're bringing in kids who no matter what we do we're making history at the moment for this program you know yours are the names that are going to go down on that board as you know, maybe someday the first team to go, like, you know, maybe this year, the first team to go to IRAs, maybe next year, the first team to meddle at IRAs, first team to go to NCAAs, you know, you're the one who's going to come in and leave the program better than you found it and be able to say, yes, I was part of that generation who did this stuff, um, which is different from what you get at, at really well-founded programs, because they've already done that stuff. Sam Pratt, I'm going to run through a wall right now, and I want you to coach me to boat. <laughs> <laughs> i'll do it i'll do it i'm looking for summer work <laughs> and as we talked before the camera started uh i'm going to henley this year so i might be leaning on you sam pratt uh there's so much more i want to talk about but this is where we uh we ended i think you gave us a lot to think about and i had a wonderful time talking to you and the very end there you sold me on adrian college and i think everyone watching and listening if you want to learn more about Adrian College and Sam Pratt and what they're doing out there in Michigan, you know how to get a hold of them. There's going to be links somewhere here. 
in the podcast on the YouTube channel, on Instagram, and also on our podcast websites. Sam Pratt, thank you for being here, man. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me. There it is, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another Rolling Story podcast.